yesterday and said, uh, believe it or not, Peter is coming home from rehab. And Walter had told me earlier he didn't think Peter would ever come home again. But uh, he claims that the people with rehab said he's healed, and if he wants to stay, it's $400 a night because the insurance, once you declared healed, then get out. So he has to go get him, and he said about church today, and I said, well, why don't you just take the day off and uh, concentrate on what you have to do at home, and uh, we'll see if Megan can play, and Megan was very gracious and said that she would be glad to do that. Oh, I don't know if she's glad to do it, but she said she'd do it, so, so she always does a very good job, so that's what's going on there. And I have to commend you people because Davey was showing me on his phone all the churches that were canceled completely, and here we are. But then again, we're pretty tough, so we, we are here. It's important. Nancy just gave me this. This is a, a handout for Align Ministries, which used to be Susquehanna Valley Pregnancy Services, and uh, they're in charge of the baby bottles. This is a little information on, uh, uh, this is Sanctity of Life, is that, am I saying it right? Sanctity of Life Sunday. And this is information on that. Uh, it's back on the table deck there with the baby bottles. So pick one up on your way out so that you have some more information on the line and uh, what they're doing. So that is a good, good ministry. And we do have two birthdays coming up today. Carl Brandt. Carl's not here today. We found out when we called, they said they wouldn't be here. And Aaron Jocker's birthday is coming up on Wednesday. It's coming Wednesday. So uh, just keep them in mind. And I think that is all the announcements we have to make. Uh, yes. Okay, did you all hear that? Baby bottles will be collected next Sunday. So, uh, uh, like I said, the other Sunday, last Sunday, you don't have to fill the baby bottle up. Uh, if you want to uh, have a statement from them, they like to have $50, $50 or more for them to issue a statement. That's understandable because if somebody just puts a buck or two in, that's not profitable for them to send out a statement. But uh, please... Pick one up and put a little bit of change in at the least and bring it back. So uh, that would be next Sunday. So we'll do it that way. Okay, well, drum roll. It's a prayer ministry guide. Like I said, we, we have two birthdays coming up Wednesday. Aaron will be 27. And I think uh, Carl will be 32. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to give them, make them feel good. Try to make them feel good. But let's see if we have any updates. Christine, do you have anything you need to up? Okay. All right. Anybody else have anything they need to share? Nancy does. Okay. My daughter-in-law asked me to add Barb 
items to our prayer list. Um, she had emergency surgery Friday a week ago, but she has an infection. They couldn't do all that they needed to do. So she was discharged to her daughters. She gets a dress repacked, her incisions repacked and changed daily. And she's on antibiotics and they need to do surgery maybe in two weeks. And they asked me to, our church could pray for her. Okay, all right. Okay. Karen. My grandson Waylon is on um, the list under therapy, which he is still having three times a week. But um, he had a sleep test a few weeks ago, and this little man has been through a lot in less than a year. Um, his birthday is not till next month. He'll be a year old. But he does have a form of sleep apnea, so he's on medicine for that. They're hoping the medicine fixes it so he doesn't have to do the machine thing. I don't know. But um, there's some other things. I can't even keep track. I almost need a book. <laughs> but um, this morning he was at um, MedExpress, and he has a double ear infection too. So just oh, gosh. <laughs> Just keep praying for him, thanks. Yeah, poor little guy. Anyone else while I'm back here? Okay. Mel, do you want to give us an update on Amy? Amy has, it's the uh, same thing. Uh, she's tired and headaches and testing coming up, and that's still where we're at. Yeah. Nothing changed, really. No change. Uh, She's concerned for Luke. She said, he don't take this too well, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sometimes there's a fallout for that. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, as we go into prayer, keep, keep Walter in your prayers for his uh, needs for Peter coming home, and I don't know what's going to happen there. Walter has a hard time just taking care of himself. So we'll see how this goes. But I know, I know Walter is smart enough to know that uh, things have to change, so uh, he's investigating that. So, And I just noticed at the bottom of our prayer ministry guide, it says, pray for our sister churches, Brooklyn first, and uh, keep them in our prayers as uh, we go through the week. So let's come together in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you have done for us. As I said before, all good things come from you, Lord. And because of that, we turn to you and we pray that you will intercede on various illnesses and sicknesses and, oh, surgeries that are necessary, all different things. You have made our bodies so intricate, so delicate, and everything works for the good as you have planned. But if something gets out of whack, we know it can cause disastrous results. So we turn to the great physician, the one physician who is above all physicians, our Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being the one that we can come to and pray, no matter what. And we pray for various illnesses and sicknesses, but we also pray whenever you heal and restore people to their original health. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, we pray for uh, folks that are having birthdays. Let them have a wonderful time, Lord. Looking forward to an, a new year of their life. 
Thank you for that. And we also pray for Brooklyn First, church that we don't know their members. We don't, we don't know. I could not drive there if I had to. But we pray for them. You certainly know where they are. You certainly know those individuals intimately. So touch them, Lord. Let them know that we are, we are giving them the best because we go through you. And that what more could be better than that? Thank you, Lord. Bless this congregation, Lord. Keep us strong. Our, our people, our denomination has all sorts of problems, all sorts of serious things that are being discussed. But keep us strong. Keep us close. Keep us tight. And above all, keep us centered on you and your son, our savior, our coming king, the one who will cure us from all evils and take us into glory with him. Thank you, Lord. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Well, as I said, we do have some birthdays and uh, does... Be seated. Megan, you deserve a round of applause. This, this is what Paul talks about, the body of Christ, all of us coming together for one purpose, all playing a different role, and Megan on short notice comes in here, and there's something intimate about a piano, isn't there? You know, singing with a piano, I, I really like that. Not to say that I don't like the organ and what Walter does, but there's something nice about a piano, so thank you, Megan. Okay, let's pray quickly. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for uh, meeting us here in this place. Thank you for uh, sustaining us through the night, the air in our lungs, the beating of our hearts. And Father, we thank you for the glorious snow, the reminder of purity of what you have done for us. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want to share with us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... Um, not a full house today, but most of us are here, so I don't know if that means that um, what I have to say is specifically for you, or if what I have to say is really, really not that good this morning, so I'll let you decide after the service, you can tell me, but this morning we're going to be talking about life after death, and um, you may notice that the sermon title for today is Life After Death life after death. And that's not a misprint, uh, and I will get into that a little bit later. But before I do that, I want to just say something about today's talk, sermon. Um, one of my professors challenged me to preach differently, and he encouraged me to interact with some of the ideas of our contemporary world, and so that they can be shown to be true or false according to Scripture. And on top of that, according to him, people, all of us, we need help unmasking the deception behind some of the arguments that are present in the world today that many of you have all heard. And in his opinion, that's the job of a pastor. <laughs> so um, I'm taking his advice for this morning. And um, I'm going to be talking about some things, interacting with some things that um, may or may not stretch you intellectually. Um, if it does stretch you intellectually, then great, uh, because when we're stretched intellectually, uh, we grow. 
And um, so I just wanted to kind of give that um, disclaimer, <laughs> so, warning about what I'm going to say today. So, um, okay, here goes. So despite what you may have heard in the past, faith and reason are not opposites. Okay, they're not opposed to one another. Uh, we are not commanded to just solely take everything on faith. On the contrary, God has given us the ability to reason and to think about things and to evaluate them for their truth or falsity. And we reason every day, right? And when we do reason, we don't cease to be Christians. On top of that, God has left his imprint in us and in this world and Paul says in Romans 1, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Perception there means sight, hear, uh, smell, touch, taste. And Paul is saying all one needs to do is look around at the natural world to be convinced that God is real. Now faith is the act of putting our trust in God trusting him for his promises, for what he says. And so there's a growing movement in the church right now to reject the idea that human beings have a soul. And if that's the case, then there are obvious implications for what happens to us after we die. If we are simply physical bodies, then what happens to us when we die? And so this morning, we're asking the question, what does the Bible teach about life after death? In other words, what does the Bible say happens to us when we die? And there are three views that have been put forward recently by Christians. One view is called immediate resurrection. And that view says that when we die, we are immediately given a resurrection body. Everyone who has died is presently living in the presence of the Lord with a new resurrection body. The second view is called extinction, recreation. When we die, we cease to exist. But when the Lord Jesus returns, we are recreated out of nothing to live again with him in eternity. And this view, I think, is a very sad view, don't you think? For it means that our loved ones who have died no longer exist because Jesus has yet to return. Now, the last view, which is the traditional view held by the church and the view that I hold to and believe in, is that when we die, our soul leaves our body and is with the Lord in his immediate presence, awaiting for his return to receive our resurrected body. Now, you might be wondering, if the church has traditionally believed that, that is, when we die, our soul leaves our body and is with the Lord in his presence, awaiting for him to return so that we can receive our resurrected bodies. If the church has traditionally held to that idea, then how have these two other views become fashionable in the church? Why do some people within the church say that when we die, we immediately receive a resurrected body? Or why do they say when we die, we cease to exist, and then God recreates us out of nothing when he returns? And why do some people say those things? Why are these views gaining traction in the church, especially among evangelical believers? The simple answer is that those persons are being persuaded by arguments of modern science that a human being is simply a body of matter and nothing more. 
Now, before I talk about the reasons why modern science is opposed to the idea that we have a soul, I want to begin with God's word, because his word is our source of truth. And as Christians, we begin by asking the question, what does God's word say about this subject? In other words, does scripture tell us anything specific in terms of what happens to us when we die? Now, the Old Testament has much to say about our natures of, of, of human beings, of who we are, and also life after death. And Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And that word breath, that word that we translate as breath, it was used in the ancient world to mean a, a soul, you know, an inner being, an inner life. Psalm 49.15 says, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. In 1 Samuel 28, surely you can probably recite the whole story for us. In the passage of Scripture, Saul visited a medium at Endor to communicate with Samuel. And from this passage, we know that Samuel continued to exist after death because he was able to communicate with Saul. And Ecclesiastes 3, verses 20 through 21 says, All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. The important thing to note there is that there are two things we're looking at. Men are dust, we return to dust, but where does the spirit of a man go? Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so from those passages, and there are many others in the Old Testament, we begin to get a picture of what human beings are. We have a dualistic nature. That means we have two natures that are united together. We are physical beings on the one hand, and we are also spiritual beings on the other hand. And the technical term for this is called substance dualism. I don't expect you to remember that, but I just wanted to give you that term, substance dualism. And so some people say, excuse me, and so some people could say, well, you know, that's what they believed in the Old Testament. But those, those thoughts didn't continue after the Old Testament. But that would be incorrect. The time between the Old Testament and the New Testament was several hundred years. It's commonly referred to as the intertestamental period. And we know a lot about this period of time. One thing that we know is that the Pharisees and almost all of the cultures that surrounded Israel, cultures, countries, were substance dualists. In other words, almost all of the people of that time believed that human beings had a physical nature and they also had a spiritual nature. And so just like the Old Testament, the New Testament has much to say about life after death. Matthew 23 verses 1 through 37, and this is a very important part of Scripture. Now, in this passage, the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, tried to, tried to trap Jesus in a question about resurrection and marriage. And Jesus responded to them by saying that they are quite wrong in their beliefs. There is a resurrection. And more importantly, Jesus says, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not 
the God of the dead. Rather, he is God of the living. And so notice in that passage, Jesus does not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rather, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so notice the present tense and the past tense. If he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must still be alive. That is, they must still exist. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. It's clear again from this passage that there are two aspects to our nature. One aspect is physical and the other is spiritual. And Jesus reminds us not to worry about someone can do to our physical body because they cannot touch our souls. Luke 23, verse 43, as Jesus was about to die on the cross, the thief next to him asked that Jesus would remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus responded by saying to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Again, it's clear from this passage that that thief would be present with Jesus, continuing to exist with him in the presence of the Lord, despite the fact that his body was about to die on a cross. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through, 2 through 4, here Paul recalls an experience he had, and he says, I know that this man, and this man is Paul, Paul's speaking about himself just in the third person, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, only God knows. And so from all those passages in the New Testament, we learn that human beings are physical beings with a body, yes, and we are also spiritual beings with a soul. Taken in totality, God's word consistently affirms that we have a dual nature. We are physical beings and we are spiritual beings. And so before asking the question, well, what does modern science say about this? I want to say a few things on the nature of our souls. What is a soul? In general terms, our soul is that aspect of our nature that is endowed with reason. That is the ability to think. And it's joined to our physical bodies. It is that aspect of us that has emotions, thoughts, desires, beliefs. Oftentimes it's referred to as consciousness. Right? We are conscious of something. We are aware of something. We don't really know how, we just know that we're aware of something. We're aware, we're conscious of things external to us, what we see, hear, touch, taste, and smell. And we're also aware of things internal to us, right? We know our feelings. We know our thoughts, our emotions. St. Augustine, the early church father, said, we can defan, define man like this. Man is a rational substance consisting of soul and body. Now much of modern science since about the 1930s has been opposed to the idea that human beings are dual-natured in the sense that we are physical and spiritual beings. Now modern science is opposed to this idea that we have a soul and says, no, human beings are just physical bodies. Well, why? And this idea has crept into the church. 
And there are at least two reasons. The first is that science embraces the methodologies of naturalism, and I will get into that in a moment. And the second reason is much deeper than that. The second reason is that this is an issue of worldviews. Now, a worldview, it's essentially a grand story of how someone explains everything. Where did human beings come from? Where did the universe come from? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Worldviews try to answer those types of questions. We live by worldviews. Now, much of modern science has embraced the methodologies of naturalism. And what do I mean by that? Well, modern science believes that we need an established method to know something before we can say that something is true. In other words, I can't simply say, I know that I had coffee this morning, but I don't know how I know that. I just know it. Rather, according to naturalism, I can only know things based upon a certain method. And that method is this. Knowledge only comes to us from a third-person perspective. And what does that mean? Well, it's helpful to contrast a third-person perspective with a first-person perspective. A first-person perspective says that I, me, as a center of consciousness, have a first-person perspective on the world. Right now, much like you, I am aware that I'm standing right here in the front of the church. I know that there is snow on the ground outside. In addition to that, I'm aware of what is going on inside of me. My feelings, my sensation, the tingling in my knees from standing here, my emotions, my beliefs, my desires. I'm aware of all of those things. That's a first-person approach to knowledge. Now, a third-person perspective means that we can only know something that can be studied. Something like an object, things like electrons, molecules, cells, bones, stars, galaxies, trees, trucks, whatever. Anything that can be studied by all persons, those things are the only things that we can really know. Now, it might be clear that if we can only know things that can be studied by others, well, there's a big problem for consciousness. It's a big problem for our souls. Because our souls, right, they're not publicly accessible to all persons. And I can't just stand up here and say, oh, well, that's what your soul looks like. That's how it works. No, our soul is internal to us. I don't know your souls. I don't know your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, unless you tell them to me. They can't be tested in a scientific sense. And so much of modern science says, well, we need to reject this whole idea of human beings having a soul. Because we have no method to test for it. If there is such a thing as a soul, it's really just the brain, which is composed of billions and billions of neurons made up of billions and billions of cells. And so why does modern science think this way? Why does modern science want to reject the idea of a soul? Essentially, it comes down to the worldview of modern science, how they're answering all of these grand questions. Modern science explains the existence of the universe and the existence of human beings by saying that matter is all that there is. 
In other words, everything that exists, everything that has come to be, has come to be by matter. That is something that's physical, right? Material. Everything that I am is matter. Everything that you are is matter. And so on. And ultimately, if everything is just matter, well then what? Well then there's no God. Right? God is spirit. But spirit isn't matter. Well, how does that work? How did I come to be if I am just matter? How did everything come to be in the universe if all that it is is just matter? Well, on the naturalist view, the smallest parts of matter come together to form collections of parts, and those collections of parts form molecules, and those molecules form cells, and those cells form organs, and those organs form organic matter, and so on and so on. The entire universe consists of a collection of small, small little parts that stand together in relationships to form new structures, new things. There really isn't anything new in the universe, according to modern science, according to this view. I'm not a new creation. You are not a new creation. Really, all you are is just a new combination of matter that has already been in existence for billions and billions of years. And so let's think about that idea. If everything about me and in the entire universe is just a combination of matter... And what do we do about the what do we do with the idea of truth? What do we do with the fact that I have thoughts, that you have thoughts? Surely truth is not a physical thing, right? I mean, we can't walk outside and say, hey, there's truth, there it is. I'm gonna pick it up and hold it in my hand and feel how heavy it is and see what color it is and what shape it is. I mean, we can't hold our thoughts in our hands, right? I mean, the same thing. We we can't really pick out a thought from our mind and hold it and say, wow, look at this thought. Look at, look at it right here. And so what am I getting at? Surely there is more to us than just matter. I know that. You know that. And so going back to the idea that everything about me and in the entire universe is just a combination of matter, what this means is that everything, and I want you to hear this, According to the worldview of naturalism, everything in the universe is determined by what happens at the level of microphysics. That is, everything in the universe is determined by what happens at the smallest level of matter inside of us. There's really no purpose to anything. There is just simply a chain of events that influences later events. What happens in the future is simply a result of what took place in the past. And in terms of human beings, everything that we do, hear this, everything that we do is a result of what has and is taking place inside of our body at the smallest level of matter. In other words, everything that we do is determined by what is taking place inside of our bodies. That's a scary thought. Can we live that way? Can even the atheist live that way? Suppose I murdered someone. 
Could I say in my defense, well, I mean, you see what happened here. I can't be held accountable. Because actually what happened is the result of what is taking place inside of my body at the level of microphysics. Matter is interacting with matter and ultimately caused this outcome. So I can't be held accountable. Surely not. Surely not. I mean, not even the atheist can live that way, and our justice system proves that to be the case. There's a sense of right and wrong in all of us, in all persons, deep within us. We know that it is wrong to torture little children. We don't have to be taught that. We know moral values. We know goodness and badness precisely because persons have been created in the image of God. And that image is that we are spiritual beings with a soul. If matter is all that there is, then is it wrong to kill a little baby? A baby in the womb? I mean, this is, this is the worldview of naturalism. And this is why they reach these conclusions. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. So what does the Bible teach about life after death? I believe the Bible consistently teaches that after death, our souls are separated from our bodies and continue to exist in the presence of the Lord. When he returns, those who have died before his return will be joined together in resurrection life into a body-soul union once again for all of eternity. And those who are still alive when he returns will be instantaneously transformed into their resurrection bodies to live with us and with the Lord in eternity. And so Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus had died. And he was very upset over this. I mentioned before a few weeks ago that some people say the two most powerful, or excuse me, the most powerful verse in all of Scripture is from this passage in John. It says, Jesus wept. It's one sentence. Jesus wept. And he was upset over the fact that Lazarus had, Lazarus had died. And he was grieved by death so much so that he came down to heaven to give us new life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, rather that the world might be saved through him. And so what, I want, what do I want you to take away from today? Well, there are two things. Number one, the Bible consistently speaks to the fact that we as human beings have two natures. On the one hand, we have a physical nature, and on the other, we have a spiritual nature. Modern science is opposed to this idea, but that is simply because modern science believes that matter is all that there is. And I just want to say, I, I, I use that term broadly, modern science. There are actually um, many individuals, men and women, who are involved in the sciences who are committed Christians. So um, I don't want to create the impression that anyone who works in the sciences is, um, does not believe in God. That's certainly not the case. Now, if matter is all that there is, then ultimately I am not responsible for what I do. 
for what I do is simply a, res a result of what is taking place at the level of microphysics. And again, surely no one can actually live that way. A person may say that they believe this, they believe that's true, but they can't live that way. They can't reason that way. And ultimately, if matter is all that there is, well, then there is no God. And that's really what we're getting after here, right? If there's no God, I don't have to be held accountable. So if I can say that all that there is is matter, well, then I can escape. I can escape that. Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. When the Bible uses the term fool, it's not engaging in name-calling. Don't misunderstand God's word. It's trying to describe someone, someone who is dense, someone who will not use their reason as God has given it. And number two, there is life after death, and there is also life after life after death. When we die, our souls will continue to exist in the presence of the Lord. And our loved ones who have died in the Lord at this very moment, are in his presence waiting for his return. And when the Lord returns, our mortal bodies will be resurrected to join our souls to live for an eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we're going. Would you pray with me? And I'm going to pray from Psalm 139. Would you just give me a moment here while I pull this up? O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be about me at night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for your word. Your word is our guide. It is the source of truth. Thank you for giving us the ability to think about it. We place our faith and trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think we have a closing hymn, Megan. 436, if you'd like to stand, we're going to sing hymn number 436.